99.3 WBT. The governor is doing his COVID briefing. He started off uh, right at the top of the hour with uh, brand new lighting in the room. It's very important to note. But uh, going over the numbers, the metrics, cases, deaths, all of that. He thanked all of the people who got vaccinated. They deserve the lion's share of the credit. Oh, and also the healthcare workers. And uh, thank, uh, thank you to the businesses that have implemented the vaccine mandates. This is where he has started uh, his comments, and now we join it in progress. Extend and increase your protection, which is already good. Dr. Cohen will share more details on what to know about boosters and if it's right for you and which one to get. We expect the federal government will soon give the green light to vaccines for children ages 5 through 11 years old. North Carolina health officials have been preparing for this and working to ensure parents can easily get their children vaccinated and protected. Once authorized, we want to ensure that vaccines for children are accessible all across our state in their pediatricians' offices and other places parents know and trust. I'll now recognize Dr. Cohen to share an update on the North Carolina data and other work that's being done by our health experts. All right, now he's going to put his mask on. He walks off to the side. Now here comes Cohen. She's wearing her mask. Oh, now she's taking it off so she can talk in the same lung juice cloud. Today I'll share where we are on our trends, explain who can get a booster, and give an update on the status of our vaccines for our younger children. Okay, so we'll get started with data. Oh, there's a big yellow line coming down. looks at people who come to the emergency department with COVID-like symptoms. It's our earliest detection mechanism. And you can see when looking at that yellow line that this trend has come down significantly from its recent peak in early September. And this is really good news. Next, we look at new COVID cases. Mm. This first graph shows you the trajectory of new cases like each day since we had our first like it's case going up back and then in March down. of 2020. And it went up and then You can see that we've again. had two significant peaks since the pandemic started. Mask harder! The second peak is from this August and September and was a result of the Delta variant and had the greatest impact on people who were not vaccinated. Let's zoom in and look at just the last few weeks for our cases. Yeah. On this graph, we're looking at cases from the end of August through today, and you can see that our cases have been trending down for the last several weeks. This is great progress. We want to see these numbers come down even more as the rate of cases we have right now still puts our state in the CDC's red zone with the highest level of community transmission of this virus. I got a score in the red zone. Next, we look at the percent of tests that are positive. This graph goes back to the end of August, and looking at that yellow line, our percent of tests that are positive has also come down quite a bit and we're much closer mm. I wonder to what our we 5%. make of all these lines going down on our next graph we look at day-over-day hospitalizations and oh, again this, this graph down also too. starts at the end of august and we're seeing good news looking at the yellow line you can see that this trend has come down significantly mm-hmm. and we're seeing the same downward trend for people needing intensive care can i still yell at people at the grocery the store that they're not the masking this hard work of our frontline health care folks our next oh, slide looks at what's happening at the local level. This is an important map. It's one from the yeah. CDC that shows the level of viral transmission. All right, so this is the map. It's got the red. It's got the orange. It's got the yellow for high, substantial, and moderate transmission levels. And uh, they put this map out like, I don't know, like nine months ago or maybe a year. And remember, they didn't even give you – they didn't even have a color for the low counties. Everything was just high. And people were like, well, wait a minute. If all you're judging everything by is high – and substantial and moderate, like, kind of seems like you're rigging the data. 
But now they've added a color. It's low, but we don't have any counties now, that are let's low. Let's turn over and look at vaccines. Today, 64% of North Carolinians age 12 and up are fully vaccinated. 67% of those 18 and older are fully vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And 89% of those 65 and older are fully vaccinated. This is good progress. This slide shows the percent of the population fully vaccinated by age groups. And you can see that only 42% of children ages 12 to 17 are fully vaccinated and only 46% of our young people ages 18 to 24 are fully vaccinated. Yeah, but do they I encourage they really our teens oh, to visit teenvaxfacts.com. Oh. Teen Vax information and resources they need to educate themselves about COVID-19 vaccines. And by educate yourself, During she means do what we are telling you to do and get the vaccination. Cases in children rose dramatically. That's why I'm excited that cases, not deaths. Oh, my God. To having safe and effective vaccines available for younger children. An independent advisory panel to the Food and Drug Administration unanimously recommended the use of Pfizer's vaccine in children five to 11 years. Now, the FDA and CDC will complete a thorough review of this process to make sure that these vaccines are safe and effective for children. Fortunately, once the CDC does recommend vaccines for 5 to 11-year-olds, there'll be ample supply of these vaccines across the state. Because yeah, no one else We wants have more them. than 750 locations statewide gearing up to be ready to go, including doctors' offices, pharmacists, pharmacies, local health departments, and School community nurses, vaccine events. The lunch lady, just anybody's going to just run up around jamming family the kids. vaccine sites across the state so that every child has a spot to take their shot. Ugh. MySpot.nc.gov will be the best place for you to find a vaccine location. It's catchy. Getting school-age kids vaccinated will help them to be safe in the classroom, play sports, participate in school theater, attend events, be with friends, and support their mental health. I'm eager to get my daughters vaccinated once Uh, the FDA and CDC review the data and complete the process. Now, let's talk about boosters. After last week's actions by the FDA and CDC, more people can now get a booster to strengthen and extend protections against COVID-19. So here's who's eligible. If you got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine more than two months ago, you should get a booster. Two months? If you got the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine and your second shot was more than six months ago, you should get a booster if you are 65 and older, or you are 18 or older and have a medical condition that puts you at higher risk, or you live or work in a setting that puts you at higher risk for exposure to COVID. To help you sort out, are you eligible, we actually have a quiz on our website. So you can go to yourspotyourshot.nc.gov. And of course, you should ask your healthcare provider. Just from a marketing standpoint, just when you do get your booster, you can get any brand you want, or you can stick with the one you originally got. The good news is all are safe and all boost your immune system. I've shared that I've gotten the Johnson and Johnson vaccine originally, and last Friday I got my booster and went with Moderna. I made my decision based on some limited preliminary evidence that suggests booster doses of with one of the two mRNA vaccines, that means the Moderna or the Pfizer, may produce a slightly stronger immune response following the J&J vaccine. But I encourage you to speak with a doctor, a nurse practitioner, or a pharmacist if you have questions about which booster is right for you. 
Vaccines are saving lives. In North Carolina, people who are unvaccinated are 20 times more likely to die from COVID-19 than people who are vaccinated. Oh, that's the end. I'm encouraged to see that every day more people End of the are slides, making the decision no more to get vaccinated. More than 220 million Americans have been safely vaccinated, including more than 5 million North Carolinians. For some people, the decision has been hard. There's a lot of misinformation out there. Mm, if you haven't gotten vaccinated there. yet, please talk with your doctor or a nurse or other medical professional or go to a reliable online health All right, let me, like let, let's CDC. break away right now. We're going to take a quick break. All right, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So far, the Associated Press guy, Brian Anderson, has been the only reporter asking questions of the governor and the DHHS secretary, Mandy Cohen. We'll see if somebody else gets a chance to answer, uh, to ask a question. Let's drop in on the COVID briefing. Masks. And remember, we don't even have vaccines yet for our 5 to 11-year-olds. So, and and I, we showed how few of our 12 to 17-year-olds are vaccinated. So I think schools need to be keeping their mask mandates right now. That is not something to reconsider. I think that was the guidance Ooh. we were giving. I know that school boards are looking at this month over month. And we want to make sure that they know that they really need to be keeping that mask mandate. Now, Ooh. I'm excited for Ooh. vaccines on the horizon. I'm excited. Our trends are moving the right direction. But we don't want them to make any new decisions yet. We want to make sure that they're protecting each other um, and making sure to keep kids in the classroom. Thank you. The governor was asked why uh, keep the emergency order in place? And he basically had no Similar answer. Topics. Hey, Dawn. Uh, Hi. <laughs> Dawn Vaughn from the News and, and Observer. Um, all right, let's start with um, with the student vax numbers and the latest DHHS guidance. So I guess this one is for Dr. Cohen. Um, is this kind of, is this setting up for pushing for more children to be vaccinated? Because when you look at the um, the latest, you know, talking points on that, it says that, you know, the mass for those in schools that are vaccinated and then when it's very low tier um, then that would be lifting it so is that a future balance that's going to change as children are vaccinated and then if it is there a point where the student vaccinations will be required the way kids are required to be vaccinated for other things so let me tease apart a couple of that. Yeah, so I don't really first, understand I what say, she was yes, asking. She sounds winded. To 17 is eligible for a vaccine right now, and they absolutely should get vaccinated. This is the way to protect yourself, your friends, your family. Um, so we absolutely want to see more of our 12 to 17-year-olds be vaccinated. As you saw, we're in the 40s in terms of the percent of folks that are vaccinated. Um, remember, when when you have an exposure to COVID and you are either vac- both parties are vaccinated um, or you're both wearing masks, then you don't have to quarantine and be out of school. And all our goal is to keep kids in the classroom and learning. And so our guidance reiterates um, the the things and the safety protocols that can keep kids in the classroom learning the most. And right now, that's masking because we have so many folks who are unvaccinated. I hope on the horizon that we will get vaccines for our 5 to 11-year-olds. We're going to see more 12 to 17-year-olds get vaccinated. And then we will always, as we have throughout this pandemic, reevaluate our guidance based on what we're seeing with trends, what we're seeing with vaccine rates. But right now, our guidance is that all schools should remain um, requiring masks in schools. And then what about um, requiring vaccinations if it's not emergency use anymore for, for students? Yeah, so I think it's premature. Again, I think those are conversations that are premature right now. Right now, we're just focused on the fact we don't even have vaccines for the 5 to 11-year-olds. I'm hopeful as soon as next week we may. So we're focused on that. So I think it's premature for to, to weigh in on that yet. Okay, thanks. 
Member right, Governor Cooper, I've got some um, everyone's favorite topic, the budget. Um, so you said that's going, maybe just ours. Um, that's going back to leadership today. Um, is this your, because we've gone back and forth on this several times, um, the final round? And then the, I mean, Speaker Moore told us yesterday that it's either, you know, compromise coming soon or the legislature will pass their own. So do you see this as the, um, you know, the final turn that, that you all are taking? Until you reach an agreement, nothing should be final. And our goal is to reach an agreement on the budget that'll be good for North Carolina. So we're, we're continuing to work toward that goal. And, you know, as you've, you've seen, uh, Republican leadership and I and Democratic leadership has, uh, we all have very yeah. different views on what's a good budget for our state. And so in order oh to Oh my gosh, just get to get a, a soundbite, really? This is what we have to be we got to listen to this give and take all around. And that can be difficult. But we want to try and get there. So I'm I, I hope we will be making progress and we have made some progress and I hope we'll continue to make progress. Okay. I know you all you and Moran Berger have maintained not Can we ask to share the same question in a different way? Go. Good faith negotiations, but is there something that that you all have already agreed on, and with this meeting on Friday, that you're you know a, a general percent of raises for teachers and state employees, or oh my God, or something that you all have that agreement in place, and you're still working out the rest? You know, I think it's fair to say that with the vast majority of the budget, we have uh, agreement. Like I'm, we we need the thing to that gets me about these types of questions is like. You know they're negotiating still, so stuff can change. Do you think he's going to tell you a number? You're going to so like like there aren't enough other stories that you can be working on that you you need to write a story about this. This is what you're focusing on. Why don't you let them negotiate? And when they're done with the negotiation, they'll make their announcement about what they've negotiated. How about that? And then we can drag them. Then we can beat the snot out of them for the stuff that they negotiated. I don't know that we want to try and iron out. Uh, over a period of time in order to get there and I, I hope we will and I'm I'm going to continue to work hard to try to get us there and if and if we don't get there is because I believe that it is a bad budget and yes we I'm understand excited, why you would veto it it's I'm been your message to be positive every about year. it and I, I as you can see uh, leaders in the legislature are continuing to be positive about it okay thanks all right so uh, I think that does it for in-person media. That's it? There so were only two we people there? Online? Okay. Take question. Our first question. Our first question on the line is from Rose Hoagland with North Carolina Health. All righty. They're going to the, uh, the selected people on the uh, phone. Not everybody gets through. You know, that's where they were for over a year. They were herding the reporters into Group A, Group E, Group C. And only the selected reporters got to ask questions. So at least now, if we want to drive up the road to Raleigh, we can get in there and ask a question. Maybe that's what Mark Garrison will just start doing, take days off and just drive up to, <laughs> to just cover a news conference. <laughs> news Talk 1110-993-WBT. This uh, COVID briefing is about to wrap up, I think. 
the questions were not very good. I know that. Yeah, there, there he goes. He's out. So no more Roy Cooper to kick around anymore. Um, oh my gosh. So look, I apologize for subjecting you to that, but I had to, you know, I had to monitor. This was the first briefing he's done in like over a month. Hey, there's Tom Tillis on Fox News. Um, see, this is what it's like in my head. Like I just, I got all these TVs around, like I'm just bouncing all around all this stuff. So, um, there were like 14,000 questions asked by the AP reporter. Then there were like three from the news and observer reporter, two from North Carolina health news, one from WUNC and that's it. And the one from during the newscast there, so you didn't hear it. One of the questions from Rose Hoban from North Carolina, uh, Health News. Do you have countermeasures planned for the misinformation and disinformation campaigns that are going to get ramped up now that kids are eligible for the shots? Because she said, you know, people have been saying, or some say, that's the way reporters uh, inject their opinion into stories or uh, a news conference. It's the way you you get to ask a question without ascribing the opinion to yourself. So you say, some say, and then say what your opinion is. And um, so that there are, uh, that once the, once the kids become eligible for the shots, that that's when we're really going to see the disinformation campaigns ramp up. And so what are you doing to, to combat that? I, you know, not that anybody cares what I have to say about this. Obviously I've been, Screaming this for, well, okay, that's not fair. I haven't been screaming it. I've just been stating it. Well, okay, sometimes it has devolved into screaming. So all right, maybe it's like 60-40 non-screaming, whatever. Point here is that I have been saying for the entire duration, they need to have more opportunities for these debates to occur in public. And the reporter class in Raleigh and those who have been permitted to ask questions. I've gone over this repeatedly as well throughout the pandemic, the way governor Cooper has uh, managed his comms team has managed access to him during the COVID briefings undermined a lot of trust and credibility um, because it, it, it cut certain reporters out of the mix. WBT, for example, cut out uh, North state journal cut out. Carolina Journal cut out. They didn't want to have questions that would pose a challenge. They weren't seen as friendly. The reporters, these entities and outlets, they were not seen as friendly. They were more adversarial. And so they were not given access to the governor during the Q&A period. You would have, I mean, I remember watching one press conference and WRAL got called on twice because they had two different reporters on hold. Right, So when you manage the access like that, of course people are going to be suspicious of the kind of information that you're allowing through. And if you want to combat misinformation and disinformation, I would submit the best way to do that is to have a public debate. Bring in people that disagree with you and disagree with your orders scientists that disagree with your orders and have people debate it. And you don't have to, I mean, look, Governor Cooper is not a scientist. I mean, I know he, he utters the mantra science and data, and he appeals to that higher authority all the time. 
as all good theologians do, right? So he, while he does those things, he's not a scientist. So I don't care to hear from him in a debate. I really don't. It doesn't matter to me. His is a policy position, right? When he's adopting uh, these mandates and emergency orders, those are policy items. If you want to combat the spread of disinformation, then have a debate. Bring your scientists out and have them discuss the stuff. Have them justify the policy if you want. But, you know, that the opportunity for the debate over policy occurred, and it was during the gubernatorial race. And the media was completely ill-prepared to moderate that debate. Now, this gets into uh, bias. It gets into uh, ideas about risk assessment and the way people perceive risk assessment and the influence of politics and their political leanings on their ability to assess risk. I've gone over this before, the Gallup survey finding people of the left way overestimate the risks of catching COVID and dying from it. And when you, you know, realize that the vast majority of the people in media are of the left, they're terrified and they're asking questions of a person of the left in charge. And he's terrified and his, his cabinet is terrified and people working for him are terrified. And so it's just this constant loop of being terrified. And then they just shut out anybody who raises questions that might prompt cognitive dissonance, right? Like the inhib- like like the white noise that that erupts in your brain when you can't figure out when you're presented with this information that flies in the face of everything that you know to be true and you can't figure it out. It just shuts down rational thought, cognitive dissonance, right? So that's the way you would combat misinformation. But they don't have any plan, actually. That was the answer to the question. They don't have a plan <laughs> to, to combat it. Uh, and whether or not to drop the emergency order, the AP guy, Brian Anderson, asked this question through his voice cracks. And um, no, he doesn't have any plans. Even though, to, and Anderson made a very good point, I thought. The AP reporter made a very good uh, point, which was, you haven't had a COVID briefing in a month. Are we really in an emergency if you're not holding briefings more regularly than a month? And even today, most of the questions weren't even about COVID, right? They were about mask mandates. And that's not even what the majority of questions were about. The majority of questions were about the budget. He was asked about the redistricting and the maps. Yeah, so... Don't think we're in a state of emergency any longer. And I saw the charts. All the charts have that yellow line. They're all going down. Hello, Bill. Welcome to the program. What's up? Thank you very much. Um, I'm a scientist. I've studied viruses and all kinds of things. I've made products that have saved lives all over the world. So I think I'm a little qualified to talk about this subject. Uh, My viewpoint is that they know that uh, the vaccination can cause serious heart problems and for the life of the child. And they know that children aren't susceptible to dying if they do get the virus without the vaccination, if they get the virus. And I'd like to know the numbers of children that actually died from the virus and I uh, imagine it's, it's a little, very, very little. Yeah, it's like 530. 
It's like five mandates that they have to get the vaccination. Okay. Yeah, it's or like do whatever, go to school. Yeah, they haven't gotten to that point yet, Bill. They were. She was asked about that. Mandy Cohen was asked about that. She said they're not at that point yet, but they probably will be. That's just my guess. Um, but the number of uh, childhood deaths, I think it's under the age of nineteen. I want to say it's it's under six hundred total. Um. Yeah, so that, that's the last number. It was like five hundred thirty-seven or five hundred seventy-three. I forget. So let's just—it's somewhere between five and six hundred. And so the chances, because I went over this data a couple days ago, uh, the chance of getting, uh, of kids getting it and dying from it, it's like one in like 10 million or something. One in one million. Yeah. One in two million. So it's very, 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 very low.